Can I climb up in your lap? I don't want to leave. Jesus, sing over me. Oh, you're everything I need. And I gotta keep singing.
Amen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We've got a lot of stragglers out there. So we're calling y'all in or you're going to be tardy. <laughs> Time to come on in. We're going to start worship here. Did you guys have a good week? Yeah? Yay! I'm so glad. Keeping warm. Enjoying the beautiful snow. That's good. Are you awake? <laughs> I heard a no. I hear you. <laughs> just, Lori, just let me have some time. I need to sip my coffee and wake up here. Well, let me, um, everybody, we're starting the service, so come on in here. We're, um, I just wanted to go over a couple things with you. Boy, did anybody, who was at the hymn sing on Friday? <laughs> Super fun, the potluck and the hymn sing. We had a great time. It was so much fun. We had a really good um, turnout of people and the food. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. There was fried chicken. There was fried chicken, and Earl was happy about it. How many enjoyed Earl? (laughs) Earl was awesome. We had a really, really good time, and uh, we are looking forward to doing that again. So if you missed it, don't miss out next time because it was a really, really wonderful night, and we, we were having a great time. I wanted to make sure that I thanked a few people. Jim Rumsey, he grabbed these uh, bales of straw for me so I didn't have to do it. I really appreciate that, so I wanted to thank him for that. Pastor Tim and Jane helped me set up, and it was wonderful. Everybody joined in to tear down everything. Um, the band was great. They worked hard. They've put a lot of extra time in this week to serve Jesus. So I'm just grateful for everybody. When we all come together and work together, it's so fun. We have a great time and nobody's overloaded and we just had a lot of fun. So thank you guys so much for all of that. Wanted to remind you guys, what do we have on Wednesday? Prayer night. We had an awesome prayer night this last week. It was so wonderful. And I want to encourage you to come. And one of the reasons why is let's be consistent with Jesus and show him, hey, we're here, Lord. We know you're going to do something. And just because we prayed six months ago and it hasn't been answered doesn't mean you're not working on it. So we want to make sure that we stay faithful to him. We want to be a praying church, and we are excited about that. We're also praying for a church in our community that just started a prayer night at impact. They're doing it too. So we're praying that it's successful and that it's big. The Holy Spirit is doing something in our community. I'm excited about that. And he's leading his people to prayer. So we want you guys to be part of it. So make sure you mark your calendars for Wednesday night at 630. It's only for an hour and it's so worth it. So we want you to be here. Also on your chairs are prayer cards for you to fill out. Please fill those out. You can give them to me or put them in the offering, and we'll make sure we're praying over them. We want to make sure that we um, are lifting those up. Also, the praises. And if you're new, there's cards on there that have a picture of our church on the front of it. It's a card that uh, you can fill out to get more information here. We want to be able to reach out to you and just say hello and give you any information that you may need. So I think we're good. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray, and we're going to start to worship Jesus. So... Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you that your spirit is in this place. And Lord, I ask you to feel free to loose yourself here even more. Lord, be in your people's hearts this morning. And I pray that you will prompt us um, when you want us to listen harder. And that you'll prompt us when you want us to sing louder. 
And Lord, um, we love you, and we're here for you this morning, and we're expecting you to to show us yourself in a new way today. So Lord, I ask you for your anointing on this place, for your protection, and I pray that we will honor you as we worship you, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Here we go. Three. 
making sure he's got, we got a banjo and a guitar and a bass all going back there on one person. I got to make sure he's got time to switch things out. But uh, just, uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll be doing it. He's doing a good job with it. But wanted to let you guys know, we're going to, we're doing the stuff from Friday night because we enjoyed it so much. We thought we're just going to do that on Sunday too. So super fun. So you guys can have a little taste of what you missed if you weren't there. Wanted to let you know the, um, all the, the books down here. I collect three things. I collect old Bibles, nativities, and hymnals, old hymnals. So these are some of my collection down here. Can anybody that wasn't there on Friday, that's cheating, guess what the oldest one is, how old it is? Anybody have a guess? What's your guess? Oh, you're so close. You are so close. It was, it was written in 1890. It's over here. It's the brown one. You guys can look at them after the service if you want to, but it's really neat because these were all uh, different churches. There's an Air Force one down here and different things, and we all are singing about Jesus, so we are all part of God's family, and it's so neat to see that, and I love that. So I thought I'd share that with you guys, and I timed that just right, didn't I? <laughs> Let's keep worshiping Jesus.
each other, say good morning, say I'm glad you're here, now that your blood's pumping. Are you? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, everybody's wide awake now. Got your blood pumping. Are you guys enjoying Jesus this morning? Yeah? <laughs> They're all having too much fun. All right. Oh, my hope and peace. 
be seated. You may be seated. I'm just making sure my mic's on. Just so. <laughs> you may be seated. We're going to receive our offering here in a few moments, but before we do, just uh, a little bit of background. Most of you probably don't know that my uh, grandmother was a pastor. Church of the Nazarene for from the time of its birth has felt the need and the responsibility to give women opportunity in ministry. Not just as a worship leader or a Sunday school superintendent, but as pastors. And throughout our nation these days, you find that many churches are finding wonderful, qualified women who will serve as a pastor. And I know for some that that's a different thing. Maybe it feels odd, but in the tradition that I grew up in, it has been so common. Some months ago, in staff meeting, I think, I mentioned to Lori that I felt like maybe God was calling her, preparing her, for ministry, something beyond uh, uh, being a worship leader, something different than that. And uh, if I remember correctly, our district superintendent encouraged her in the same way. Most of you who are around the church here very much know that there is a sense in which Lori is more to us than um, the worship leader. As wonderful as her job is at worship leading, she does far more than that. In our church, there is a process, as there is with calling a pastor, as we learned several weeks ago. But there's a process for someone becoming a pastor. And it begins with that person displaying gifts and graces that would lead a congregation to believe that perhaps they might be qualified to do that. The church board will meet and interview that candidate and then issue to that candidate what is known as a local minister's license. The next step after they've held that license for a while and as they continue with education is a district minister's license and then following that, that candidate, if meets qualifications, can be ordained. Miss Lori um, started taking courses from Northwest Nazarene University and uh, is still in that process, but is certainly qualified to be given a local minister's license and the church board voted to do that with the approval of our district superintendent and certainly with the approval of your part-time interim pastor. And so today, I am happy to present to her her first ever local minister's license in the Church of the Nazarene. Thank you. proud of you, Lori, because I know that's a big step for you, because you grew up in a tradition where this wasn't done, but uh, God has great plans for you, and I would be happy for you to be my pastor one day. I'm, I am sold on what you do. I am. Well, God bless her. I think we have some people here somewhere that are going to help me with the offering this morning, and if you would come now. 
we would prepare to receive the morning offering, give God our tithe and our offerings. And let me pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be in this place today. There is a spirit of anticipation here. We feel it as we walked in this morning and as we've participated in the music this morning. There is just a keen awareness that your spirit is bubbling somewhere here. That the breath of God is blowing across this congregation. I pray today that we would be open to what you're saying to us. And Father, that you would bless this offering as we receive it now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
to praise. We have so many reasons to praise you. And Lord, it's just wonderful to be able to sing of your victory because you have won it all. There is nothing you have not defeated that needed to be conquered. So Father, we are grateful for that. We are grateful that you got us all here this morning and put breath in our lungs. That means you have purpose for us today. So Lord, I pray that we will fulfill that purpose. And Lord, as we continue to worship you through learning, Lord, I pray that you will anoint Pastor Tim even more than you already have. I pray that you will surround him with protection and that you will speak truth through him. And even if it's hard for us to hear some of it, Lord, let us receive it because that's you. That's your Holy Spirit working. And we need you to transform us. So Lord, thank you for waking us up. Thank you for this special morning of being able to sing songs to you that have been sung through the ages. We are excited about that, Jesus. Any way we can praise you, we want to do it. So we love you, Lord, and we just give you the rest of this morning to do with it what you see fit. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. I haven't sung some of those songs in a long time. Well, since Friday night, you know, since since Friday night. I was thinking as we were singing, because those songs are uh, not sung so much anymore, um, that you almost need to do an explanation on some of the language that's used. Language that we grew up with, but sounds foreign to us today. There is power in the blood. What in the world are they talking about? blood of Jesus on the cross. And then there's that one we sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. And I always think people are going to think some Nazarene wrote that. But it wasn't. It was just referring to the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth. And people that lived in Nazareth were known as Nazarenes. I had two wonderful professors at uh, college. I went to Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. Got a friend back there. Oh, another alumni. Yeah. I went there and I had two wonderful Bible teachers, Dr. Uh, Leroy Henshaw, Leroy Brightup and Verlin Henshaw. Both of them had gone to Nazarene Theological Seminary, though they were friends, guys. But one of them told me one day that when they were at seminary, if they started singing that hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, 
The two of them would start singing Standing on the Promises instead because they were Quakers and not Nazarenes, but it was okay. It's all right. We had a great time Friday night. And I was so impressed with the crowd that showed up because it was not, a, it was not pleasant outside on Friday night. But we had a great group and had a wonderful time singing these songs together and laughing together. And my friend Earl was here, Earl Pike. And Earl, I'm sorry, I, let me apologize for him because he has no filters. And he embarrasses people. Sometimes he embarrasses me. And, uh, and then he lip syncs, or he tries to, but he thinks he's just doing what everybody else up here is doing. Because he hears a soundtrack start playing, and then people start singing. So he thinks they're just lip-syncing too. So he tries that. And as a lip-synker, he can sing almost anyone's song. You know, he can do them all, and he tries different ones from time to time. I want to take us back to last Sunday. I looked at the clock after I finished preaching last Sunday and I thought, oh, gee, these people are going to be so glad I'm out here because I went long and I, I'm, I try to be conscientious about your time. But I want to I go back. Sorry, I hit that microphone in my pocket and it does something. I don't know what I did to it. back to that same passage of scripture which is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 and I want you to hear the words again this morning since we have these promises since we have these promises dear friends let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Perhaps the most important word in that phrase is the word reverence. Because what it really means is love. Perfecting holiness out of love for God. What a lot of us fail to realize is that this Bible is a love story from cover to cover. And I realize that it has some ugly stuff in it, some stuff in it that's not so easy to read, some stuff in it that you just don't even like to read. But that stuff that is hard for us to read serves as a reminder of the length to which God will go in order to redeem his people even to the point of allowing his own son to die on a cross. That ugly stuff is the backdrop against which the love of God is compared. So you see that stuff in the background. 
That is what was happening. That is what was going on in our world. And yet in front of that, there is this effort of God to continue to try to let his people know how much he cares for them. Now, in order to help those who weren't here last week catch up quickly, I'm going to spend just a few moments reviewing some of the stuff where we ended after that message. We spoke of the history of the holiness movement within the church and how the doctrine of holiness has become difficult or fuzzy or cloudy or or misunderstood and in many cases completely rejected. And here's where that misunderstanding begins. It begins with what we have viewed as the core value or the core notion of what it means to be God's holy people. So we spoke of things last week that have often been identified as core, the core of holiness within the church, and I'll review those in a moment. But those things can become the central notion of holiness, when in reality they are not. For if they are... That idea of being God's holy people either folds completely, as I believe it has, or it digresses into legalism. And I mentioned last week that legalism is lethal to holiness. And here's the problem. The struggle is to live by faith alone as the basis of our righteousness with the Father. So our temptation, rather than living by faith alone, our temptation is to establish some standards and practices and regulations in addition to our faith. And we are so good at that. And whoever is in a leadership position has an incredible opportunity to begin to list the things that they think you need to be doing if you are going to be God's holy people. And that's exactly what we see happening in Acts chapter 15. It is after the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had been given, and they were flourishing under the realization that God was expressing himself to them. Even though Jesus was gone, God had not left them, and the Holy Spirit was expressing God's presence to them. And... In Acts chapter 15, there is an event taking place. An event that is called the Jerusalem Conference. And Acts chapter 15 could really be seen as the minutes of that conference. It was an effort of this new church founded on Jesus Christ to come to grips with what to do with the Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish, who were coming to faith in Jesus. Sometimes those people were called Judaizers. And they're, they are re- insisting that this new group who are following Christ, who aren't Jews, must follow all the practices of Jews. So even though they are not Jews by heritage, they must become practicing Jews. And I, by that I mean they were supposed to follow the 613 laws that the Jews, especially the Pharisees, were proclaiming that they followed. Circumcision was part of that as well. But on the other hand, at that conference you had Peter and Paul who were saying, wait a minute, they are not Jews. They are Christ's followers. 
And as such, it was the grace of our Lord Jesus that has saved them. Not their own effort to keep the law. It was not the law and Christ. It was Christ alone. Now, some of those Judaizers started going back to some of the little churches that Paul had planted or others had planted and trying to convince them that faith in Christ was not enough and that they needed to follow all of the laws that the Jews were following. That's the reason Paul wrote the book of Galatians to the church in Galatia to tell them, no, don't give up the freedom that you have in Jesus. And that struggle with faith alone is still with us. It never ends. And most of us still wrestle with that. We want to be loved. We want to be loved because of what we do for God. Because we think we've followed all the rules. And we want that because unconditional love is so hard for us to receive. Why? Because we don't feel worthy. I'm not worthy of God's love, so I need to do something to show him how serious I am. So at the Jerusalem conference, there in Acts 15, as today, the law was becoming a ladder to be climbed to salvation. And the more of the laws that you kept, the higher you were on that ladder. But God never intended that. His desire was for us to make a leap of faith into life with Jesus Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later, still trying to convince God that we're good enough by the efforts that we're putting in. Now let me remind you of the diagram from last week, and I gave you another copy this morning, and maybe you want to fill in those pillars again. Because these are the things that we keep coming back to in this effort to prove to God that we're good enough. On that first pillar, you might want to put the word rules. Yeah, we're good at rules. We keep finding another way to follow rules. We keep looking for new rules to follow. Let's invent a couple of new rules in order that we can follow them. Or the second pillar might be purity. Purity. That can be self-imposed by sheer willpower. And so, it is not because of a relationship with God. It is because I think I need to do this in order to make God love me. And so I begin this quest toward purity. I'm not saying purity is wrong. I'm just saying that it can't be driven by my own effort to try to please God. And the third pillar, the thing that we keep trying, is to be set apart or, or separation. Jesus said, to be, said we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And he spoke of us being salt and light. And our world needs some salt and light these days. But if we just hide ourselves away, and we've separated ourselves, we're not being salt and light. So as a result, we could say that we're holy because we're separate. But holy for what? The next column is one that I call total commitment. So we seek that, but total commitment to what? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give my body to be burned, that would be total commitment. If I give my body to be burned but have not love... 
I'm nothing. A fifth one that we like to keep coming back to, or we did when I was a boy growing up, was the idea of perfection. Perfection. But perfection in, in what? In what way? How in the world am I going to reach some level of perfection? Because as an interim pastor who's done this for 50-some years, i got to tell you, I haven't gotten there yet. See, if we place our philosophy of holiness on this structure, it is going to fall unless... And please... Hear the word unless. Unless it is built on the foundation at the bottom of those pillars of love. When you look at all of those concepts of holiness that have, I've described that have been part of this idea of the doctrine of holiness, of being God's holy people, if you look at all of those ideas that have kind of been part of it as the soup has been mixed across the decades they do have some positive things. But if we, inter- if we hold them uh, up as the only thing without integrating their positive aspects with love, then we miss it. Otherwise, all these things mentioned become cause for pride in ourselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I follow all the rules. And I know what purity means. And I have reached perfection, you know. I begin to take pride in myself. And you know what happens to us in the holiness movement? We become bitter and angry and somehow hold ourselves above someone else because I'm doing all of those things that are on the screen without the one at the bottom, which is the most important. The simple claim that God is love, which is 1 John 4, 8, resides at the center of a Christian understanding of being God's holy people. Some of you might know the name Barclay. He wrote a series of commentators. I like what he writes. And this is what he says. He says that the seed of the Greek word for holy, I want you to hear this. The seed of the Greek word for holy is different. Different. God is different than man. The temple was different than other buildings. And the Christian is different than other people in their approach to life. Now, I mentioned 2 Corinthians a moment ago. Paul himself said... In 1 Corinthians, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is not anything on those five pillars. The greatest of these is love. Let me give you a definition of love. You can't write this down. It's too long. To love is to act intentionally in response to God and others to promote well-being. Love is to act intentionally in response to God and others to promote well-being. To love is to respond to the inspiration of others, especially God, and by that response affect genuine flourishing. 
I know that definition is a mouthful, but let me break it down for you just a bit. First it says, to love is to act. See, love is a verb. Love is something that you do. And love actions are intentional, which means that they are deliberate. So intentional actions contain decisions and with some degree, freedom. So if I am going to love you and love God, there is something that I need to be in the process of doing. And secondly, it says love requires a response. So as a response, love usually involves or can involve some degree of emotion. Respond. Third, in that definition, that definition of love speaks of well-being. Do you know what well-being is? It is peace. It is that sense of being at peace. And Jesus speaks of well-being when he spoke of the fact that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, that's well-being. Mother Teresa said, love is the fruit in season at all times and within the reach of every hand. Love is a fruit in season at all times and within the reach of of every hand. And John Wesley argued that the statement, God is love, is the single most important description of God in all of Scripture. And he insisted that feeling God's love should characterize the Christian's life with God. In both its early stages as we, as we first come to him, relationship with Him and in our more mature stages as we have built that relationship with Him, for we are to grow in that relationship with God. It is a relationship. And some of us at a youth camp or a revival or in a church somewhere, we came to a point where we committed our life. We invited Jesus to come into our heart. And we just stopped right there. And there has not been a maturing from reading the Word and prayer and being with folks in corporate worship and trying to grow through Bible studies and those other kinds of things. We just said, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, forget the rest of it. And Wesley insisted that this love for God is not possible unless and until we know that God loves us. We will never be assured or be able to express the kind of love until we realize and accept that God loves us. And we cannot know that love unless or until that Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost, the word that's used is until God's Holy Spirit bears witness and assures us of his love. See, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up. And there was this total awareness of God's love. I was with those old boys that I meet on Thursday mornings from this church a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this very thing, and it was Mike McNally who said, when he experienced this 
sense of knowing God loved him, he said it was like liquid love. Living in liquid love. Oh, can you imagine that? And again, Wesley insisted that true Christians can and normally should expect to undergo an experience of the Holy Spirit's testimony to assure them of God's redeeming love. Their own personal little Pentecost. And Wesley called it the witness of the Spirit to your spirit. Many of us grew up singing a a chorus that went, and I'm not going to sing it for you, be grateful, that went, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. Now, those lyrics were clearly inspired by 1 John 4.19. But most of the earliest Greek manuscripts of that verse, there in John, say we love because he first loved us. And the immediate context of that statement, not to mention the larger context of 1 John, suggests that we love one another. We love one another, or at least ought to love one another, because God first loved us. And the very next verse then says, those who do not love brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Man. Um... You can mark me off after this comment if you want to, but I see people on TV that I, God, do I have to love them? And I won't mention any names, but talk to me later and I'll share with you talking about. You know, what I'm saying is for far too long, we have been willing to settle for far less than God has available to us. And neither of these things will probably ever happen until or unless I embrace the fact that God loves me. 1965, I met a girl on a bus from Wichita, Kansas to Manhattan, Kansas, for band day. We were going up there with bands from all over the state of Kansas. It was a football game, and all of the bands would be out on the field at halftime, and we'd be playing, and I'd be back there somewhere in the back of our band as we marched out on the field and playing my cornet, my trumpet, and doing my best not to play it loud enough that anyone would ever hear me trying to play it. But on that bus to Manhattan sitting right in, I was sitting with my best friend, Mike Pledger, and right in front of us, there were two girls that were baton twirlers with the band, the majorettes. They marched out in front of the band. And they were sophomores. Mike and I were juniors. And so we started talking to those girls. Long story short... That was in September, October, January. Mike was dating one of those girls. Her name was Jane. 
And that kind of broke up some way. And another, through a series of events, one night I had the opportunity to take this girl named Jane and her newer boyfriend home after a basketball game. And I took her other boyfriend home first. And I took Jane back to her home. And I was a perfect gentleman. But I called her the next day to see if she would go with me on a date. And I put on uh, Facebook some weeks ago that I took her to a high school play at West High, Wichita, Kansas. It was Caesar and Cleopatra. Worst play I've ever been to. But we, that was our first date. And we continued to date. And there were times that, uh, well, every time, I'd go over to her house and pick her up. And I didn't sit in the driveway and honk the horn. I went to the door and knocked. And the door would open, sometimes as her mother, sometimes it was her dad who didn't like me very much, but, and her mother was a prince of a lady. She was the one who told Jane at one time, don't get serious with that guy, because if he becomes a Nazarene preacher, you're going to end up out in the boondock somewhere. The thrill of my life was when she visited us in Denver And she came in to Denver First Church with 2,800 seats, 100 voices in the choir, and a 30-piece orchestra. And when I got up, I introduced her, and I said to my mother-in-law, Welcome to the boondocks. (laughs) I would pick Jane up. We would go on our date. I would bring her home. And uh, I would... I would get out of my car and I'd walk around to the passenger side and she would scoot from the center of that bench seat where she had been sitting over close to the door and I would open the door and I would reach in and get her and I would take her with me to the front door. And she was... she. Can you tell she's shorter than me? So we would get to the front porch, and I wanted to give her that last kiss goodnight, and she would stand up on the front, on the first step of her porch so that we could reach each other. And uh, we'd been dating about four years, four years, four months. And there was something I wanted to say to her. But I didn't have the nerve. And one evening I took her up to the front porch and I stood there with her. And we looked in each other's eyes. And I'm not going to look in her eyes because I'd probably cry. But we were standing there. And she said, Tim, I love you. It was what I had wanted to say, but I didn't have the guts. Because, you know, when you say that, 
There is a chance. What I thought, what if I say it? What if I say, I love you, Jane? And she says, oh, that's nice. <laughs> or what if she says, okay. But she said it to me first. And I looked back at her and I said, I love you too. Can I tell you this morning that God has already said to you, I love you. You see, sometimes we're afraid to get too deep into that relationship for fear that he will reject us. But he has already said it in so many ways. I love you. I love you. I love you. This morning, as we share together in communion, it is a chance for us to say to him again, and I love you. Sometimes when we receive communion as a congregation, there is a sense in which we kind of just hurry and get through it, but, you know, this is a moment for a church, for individuals in a church to be saying, I love you, to God. If you didn't receive a communion set, just lift your hand, and I have people that will bring those to you. Some down here on the front. One here on the front. And sometimes when we're, you know, when you're telling God, I love you, that's an intimate moment. When you're saying, Father, would you express your presence to me? That's an intimate moment. And sometimes, though we don't do it often, I know, some people might like to kneel at an altar. It's, it's just a way of bowing in his presence or maybe kneel at the chair where they're seated. All of those things are fine and you don't have to have an invitation to do that. But I'm giving you one. If you'd like to kneel here while we receive communion, feel free to come. If you'd like to kneel there at your seat, just turn around and kneel there. Feel free to do that. Maybe you just want to stand in the presence of Almighty God because as we open these little containers and we take out that bread and, that, and we drink that cup, we are going to be telling him we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He said it first. All of the things that I have on those five pillars, they're not an issue. When I realize how much he loves me, when I think of standing with Jane on the front porch of her house, the fact that she said she loved me knowing so much about me already, and that's where God is today. He is madly in love with you. And perhaps today He's just waiting to hear you say, Heavenly Father,
have some new little communion cups for you today. You'll notice that the bread is on the bottom. If you'll peel that, take out that bread. It is gluten-free if that's an issue for some of you. If you would take the bread, the night Jesus broke it and gave it to his disciples, he says, this is for my broken body. Take and eat this now. before them and said my shed blood drink this now and be grateful almighty God it is in a simple effort to say we love you that we wait before you this morning some at an altar, some at a seat. And that is our heart's cry. We love you too. Thank you for the love you express to us. For you are worthy of every bit of love we return to you. I pray that you will receive our love now. In Jesus' name. Jesus is the greater vision of grace. 
beautiful. I love hearing everybody say, we love you, Jesus. Just let's say that together. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. We are all one in you, Jesus. I just pray, Father, that we will take this and apply it this week. And Lord, I pray that your fragrance will be smelled all over us. And I pray we will be your hands and feet to the people next to us and to the people that we don't know that we run into this week, Lord, because we're here for you and for your purposes, and we want to love the way you do. So be with everyone this week, Jesus. Get them all home safe. And, Lord, I pray that we will love on you all week long. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs>